Hey, Professor. How are you doing? Hey, doing okay. Doing all right. That's good to hear. You know, I was reading the Latino GDP report that just came out. And I, of course, this, this GDP report looks at 2018 economic data, correct? Correct. For 2018, just released. So when I when when I noticed that one of the very first questions that popped in my head was, what what, what was what happened in 2018? Oh, we had the the usual things that happen every year. Certain people that were very meaningful to us, like Aretha Franklin, passed on. Uh, we had the the usual sorts of things, such as school shootings, that were very common back then. Um, yeah, we had parks. Welcome to Hinta and Health, a podcast by the Center for the Study of Latino Health and Culture. Today's podcast will be happening a little different. I'm Elias Rodriguez, a research assistant at the Center and one of this podcast's producing editors. This podcast is an extension of the research we have been a part of for many years. Join us as we discuss the state of Latinos and as we unearth the voices of Hinta and Health. 20. We had no idea that COVID was even possible. Now look at us. Today, the old Chicano professor is instead the one being interviewed for this episode. Hi, Prophet. Thank you again for uh, agreeing to turn the tables for today's episode. Oh, it be my pleasure. So I'm looking at the GDP report and it came out just not, not too long ago. And yes, it was released on September 24th of this year, 2020, as part of the Latino Donor Collaborative Weekend of Events. This is sort of like the high point, the tent pole, as we unveil every year, what have Latinos managed to put together? Oh, okay. So it's a Latino GDP, but what is a GDP? Can you tell our listeners what a GDP is? Sure. A GDP, gross domestic product, uh, literally, is the total monetary value of all the goods and services produced in a region in a given year. So, uh, for many years, now I've been researching Latinos, Latino health, etc., and the really strong behaviors have really struck me, the Latino epidemiological paradox that we've mentioned before, etc. And yet, when I go out, off, out of the ivory tower to the world, the hurly-burly of politics and everyday news, the narrative about Latinos is always undocumented immigrant gangbangers, teenage pregnant moms on welfare. And I've often wondered, well, why is it that nobody wants to look at the wonderful behaviors of Latino? And I realized I couldn't summarize them as easily as someone can build a wall when saying that. That summarizes stuff to some people. Oh, yeah, I got to keep them out. Why? They're dangerous. They're criminals. They're narcos. They're rapists, etc. So we were lacking, if you will, a, um, a similar narrative. And in 20 or 30 words or seconds could summarize why are Latinos useful. So I was thinking about the GDP, and I've been thinking about doing this ever since 2004, 2005. And I realized that Latinos have just really different patterns of behavior. We don't fit the models that most uh, analysts use. So we couldn't just say, well, if Latinos were X percent of the population, we'll be X percent of the GDP. We have different dynamics. So we... Uh, pulled up our sleeves and we basically replicated the Bureau of Economic Analysis model that when they do the US GDP every year. We use the same data sets, we use the same definition, the same variables. We just identified Latinos in each one of the data sets, pulled them out. So that if Latinos were reporting as a separate country, 
what would we be generating? And the first time we did this, we were surprised. Uh, this time, we're no longer surprised. But what we discovered is that the worth of Latinos to the world is that we created for 2018 the world's eighth largest gross domestic product at $2.6 trillion. Wow. We're within the top 10. We're a big dog. Yeah. <laughs> we're a big dog. Hey, top 10. I mean, we're bigger than Russia, uh, bigger than South Korea. Uh, bigger than Brazil, all these other countries that people talk about as being, we are an earth-shaking group, and that's the importance that we are. So that starts to put a number to it, if you will, if we have to put a number. But for Pete's sake, people don't seem to put emphasis on anything that's not a dollar number in this country. So we've done it. We are the world's eighth largest GDP. And we of the top 10 GDPs in the world, we have the third fastest growth rate. We're growing faster than the non-Latino GDP. Hello, we're pretty important to this country and to this economy. The GDP is essentially, it tells us a lot about the economy of, of a population. So the Latino GDP seems to touch on Latinos' contribution to, to that in, in America, correct? And, and we're the eighth largest? Yeah. <laughs> Their we're fastest big growing? <laughs> and the important thing for me is that it allows me to frame a different narrative because the narrative ever since... Uh, June of 2015 has been that Latinos, in particular Mexicans, are criminals, rapists, and drug dealers. Once we look at the size of the Latino GDP, I can then ask, well, what kind of population would produce the world's eighth largest GDP? A population composed of criminals, rapists, and drug dealers? I don't think so. Or maybe they are very good Americans who happen to be Latinos. It allows me to shift the basis of framing Latinos. It offers a completely different way of framing Latinos. So, in a way, it, it's a shame that I have to reduce it to dollars and cents, but that seems to be the only thing that people really understand in this country. So, okay, we'll play their game. Oh, we can play them and beat them at it, too, as it turns out. So, it allows us to reflame why, then, should people worry about COVID, because COVID is attacking Latinos disproportionately. It allows us to reframe a lot of other issues in terms of what Latinos have done for this country for over 200 years. Uh, we just never get any credit for it. So that, it gave us a new way to frame Latinos in U.S. society. So this GDP report is much more than just about the economy. It seems to be more, more, much more significant than that. It, it gives us a dollar amount, but it, it... well, it summarizes it summarizes the population basically in two numbers: the size and the growth rate. And it and it summarizes it in a way that almost everyone understands and kind of everybody has an intuitive sense yeah gdp is important bigger is better than smaller growing is better than shrinking compared to any other metric that i've used in the past uh death rates labor force participation household formation i could throw those out and throwing them out for 40 years i've written books about them nobody seems to care once i was able to get that all into a gdp framework suddenly they care so we were mentioning or you've mentioned both in the report and today with me that that there's growth in the Latino GDP report. Where is this growth coming from? Well, uh, growth in GDP comes from a number of factors. One, of course, is uh, labor force participation. That is, how well do people participate in the labor force? And it turns out, actually, not just in 2018, but going back to 1940, when I've written two books about this, Latinos in California, now this is 80 years worth of data, Latinos in California have had 
the highest rate of labor force participation of any group for 80 years in California. Wow. Now, there's always that narrative, the stereotype, the lazy Latino, oh, manana, blah, blah, blah. That's the stereotype, the data. We have been the growth point of labor force participation. And we work more hours per week. And we work more in the private sector, which is a sector that generates wealth. We work far less in the public sector, which is why quite often you have to go with your parents to the post office to translate. You just don't find a lot of bilingual folks working in governmental jobs. And again, this is all very counter to the stereotype. We set up households at a greater rate. We have more people per household. We're buying houses. Uh, because we have young families, we're still buying you know, clothing and furniture and baby cribs, et cetera. So we're driving the economy in terms of the consumption, we're driving in terms of not only labor force participation, but actual growth. Baby boomers are leaving the labor force at increasing rates. And if it weren't for Latinos, in fact, the labor force would be shrinking just as these baby boomers retire and say, okay, now pay me my social security and pay for my Medicare. We would have less to pay for that. Thanks to Latinos, actually, they can actually have their social security and Medicare. So we are basically... Uh, the fill-in, we're the cavalry, some people said, coming to rescue the uh, U.S. GDP just as it was about to look like the rest of the world. Here is a handy little demographic point. All the other GDPs that we compete with, China, Japan, Germany, England, all have shrinking population, shrinking workforce. Japan is imploding right in front of our eyes. Japan will have gone from 130 million to 80 million by 2030. I was just imploding. And that has huge implications for GDP. Europe is imploding. Non-Latino United States is also shrinking. We are the only economy in the world that has growth at the young end, and that is thanks to Latinos. That basically Latinos are the secret weapon for the US to maintain economic preeminence throughout the year 2050. You wouldn't know that to hear the policy coming for fourth out of the Trump White House, you would think we're a danger. We are the secret weapon, and yet we are just wasting it away. We're not really investing in it. Wow. Just think if we invested. Imagine that. <laughs> Hearing all about this, this growth, how, how Latinos are, are, are an economic driver, I, I do remember that this is 2018 data that we're looking at, some from 2010 to 2018 and even some participation data that, that's gone back for 80 years, but we've had something big just happen a while a while back, the early this year, maybe even towards the end of last year. We, we had a, a new virus come out, the coronavirus causing COVID-19 mm -hmm. and, and a pandemic with, that right. ultimately led to shutdowns and stay at home orders. So mm -hmm. how, do I, how do I translate this report into this new world we live in today. Well, here's something interesting, and we have been sharing with our listenership the reports in which we actually put the GDP and uh, COVID together. Latinos, because of the very high labor force participation rate and for a number of other racial structurings in society, were an essential set of workers in order for the economy to, to continue to function once COVID hit. Initially, we thought essential workers were the nurses and the doctors, so we spent a lot of time making sure they had their personal protective equipment, they had the training to put it on, donning and doffing and everything else. However, 
If you remember the first month or so of the uh, shutdown in March and April when people were fighting over paper towels and toilet paper in the grocery stores, if it weren't for farm workers, we would have been fighting over the last sack of potatoes in the store. Oh, there wouldn't be anything in the stores. Farm workers then were essential workers. They kept us fed through all of this. And yet we didn't think of getting them personal protective equipment uh, as they work shoulder to shoulder out in the fields, as they work standing next to each other in the packing houses, as truck drivers, as shell stalkers, as checkout clerks, as mechanics, as construction workers. All these things that kept the state functioning primarily are employ Latinos, but we didn't think of giving them PPE. Many of these industries don't offer them health insurance. We have a huge provider shortage so that eventually, because Latinos were more exposed to coronavirus, they were more likely to be uh, to develop cases. And then that would be more likely to develop hospitalizations. And as we have seen in our reports, now more likely to die due to coronavirus. Not because there's anything unique in Latino biology, it has to do with the nature of we have kept the state moving. So the question is, what happened once coronavirus hit? Well, it's interesting, and these are data that we've been tracking. We haven't released them yet. When everything shut down in March, in April, uh, both Latino and non-Latino had a drop in labor force participation, although Latino was always higher than non-Latino. Then, while the non-Latino labor force participation has continued to drop ever since April, Latino bounced right back up. That was the V-shape. We had a V-shape recovery for May, June, July, August, September. And actually, the difference between Latino labor force participation and non-Latino is growing because Latino has continued to remain high. Non-Latino is continuing to drop. Now, could this go on for five years with COVID? That's the point of our report today. Because Latinos work very hard, because you have more wage earners per household, uh, Latinos have been more exposed, develop uh, more, higher, have a higher case rate, and certainly a higher death rate. Well, this can't go on forever. No, At some not. point, it's going to start to take some serious toll in that very active segment of the, pop, uh, the population of the economy that's been creating economic growth. I don't know how long it can continue because it's kind of running on fumes. Uh, these are the folks who are the first to get hit once something closes. Latinos consistently, however, then go out and find something else to do, create something else to do. But uh, Latino households, many Latino households were, were excluded from the CARES Act, that first COVID relief, because households that had non-citizens were ineligible to receive the relief. As we saw, were small businesses that were supposed to get these loans. Well, 1% of the companies got about half of the loans. So Latinos like get the short end of the stick everywhere we look around. Why do we have a Latino physician shortage when medicine has been uh, practiced every day in Spanish for 250 years? I mean, it's not like a new thing. Uh, why are we still getting less access to higher education, less access to health professions? It's not a Latino uh, problem. These are racially structured issues. Nonetheless, we have powered through them over and over and over and over again, but it can't go on forever in the face of coronavirus and COVID deaths. At some point, it's going to start to take a toll in this, the only bright spot in the American economy. Then we will all suffer. We very much are running the risk of, of running this, this economic driver, this economic engine dry. Mm -hmm. 
absolutely. You got to you got to put some gas in the tank or put some light on the uh, sun cells or whatever analogy. You got to get some get some something back into the system so it can continue to function. Just some very basic investments are all that are needed. Um, Say we did do that, what -hmm. would the outlook look for the economic recovery? Well, Latinos have every potential to power through even um, the early part of this year with the Latino extremely high labor force participation, still forming a household, still doing all those things, being very young uh, and being very U.S. born, by the way, you're not going to stop Latino labor force growth by building a wall. Basically, immigration to the U.S. ceased being a major factor in Latino population growth about the year 2003. The growth has been by births, and these were babies that were born 18 years ago are now turning 18 this year. One million Latinos a year who were born in the United States turn 18. They enter the labor force. They can register. They can vote. Next year, another million next year another million and so forth out to the year 2035 they're just starting their careers they're just starting their work habits they have a whole lifetime ahead of them and we are the only country that has that growth bump thanks to latinos italy doesn't have it spain doesn't have it uk china japan they don't have that growth bump we do but we have just wasted it over the past 20 years trying to legislate it out of existence build walls around it deport it well, how can you deport us? You know, we're U.S. citizens. But that's the narrative. People get arrested for speaking Spanish. Uh, that's crazy. That's one of the best things you'd want. So we have not at all invested because the narrative leads us to expect that Latinos are criminals, that we're drug dealers, criminals, and rapists. That's the current narrative. So why would you invest in a population filled with criminals, rapists, and drug dealers? I would agree. I wouldn't want to do that either. But that is not Latinos. But the narratives, oh, yes, it is. And we hear it every day out of the White House for the past five years. Been hearing it every single day. So thinking about our economy in 2020, this this rising unemployment rate, small businesses at risk of, of, of closing, at least that's what we hear on the news every day, right? We kind of sounds like we're at an ultimatum here at Latinos where or if we let them run dry, we could probably very much have very lasting economic impacts for quite some time versus if we just acted as sooner rather than later, we could very much turn things around for our our economy, correct? Absolutely. And my group and I have seen this coming. I wrote my very first book. It came out, it was published by Stanford University Press in 1987, I believe. Started writing the book in 1982 almost 40 years ago, in which I projected that Latinos would grow in California to be 42% of the population, we're right at about 40%, uh, and that the baby boomers would be retiring just as Latinos come online. And I said 40 years ago, why don't you start investing in their education and their health? So when 2020 came around, they'd be at optimum efficiency, if you will, to use that horrible term. Uh, instead, we got Prop 187, Prop 209, Prop 227. We've got the uh, Trump White House. Uh, this country has not invested because they have followed this other narrative about Latinos, by the way, that has been present in California since 1848. When the folks came out in 1848, conquered us, and they said, well, what are all these foreigners doing here speaking a foreign language? Let's hear Spanish. We're now going to speak English, although we came in as a bilingual state. 
We've always been seen as the foreigners, the takers, the criminal, the lazy, you name it. And yet the data are just the opposite. That shows the power of narrative, quite frankly. We do not have our own narrative. We have lacked our own narrative. I'm hoping that as we use, we can use the GDP to start to create our own narrative, a Latino narrative about Latinos in the United States. So touch, touching on this narrative, it seems that we've, we've been having a lot of stereotypes out there and looking at what the GDP tells us, it's sort of paints a different picture for us, correct? Because we, mm-hmm. we work hard, we have great work ethic in, in compare, mm-hmm. looking at it, it could be interpreted as, as Latinos having very great work ethic. Uh, kind of sounds like we have certain family values where we have a value we have is entrepreneurship, healthy habits, even patriotism in, in some, some case, right? So th- this is what the, what the, G- the Latino GDP tells us. A- absolutely. And by getting people's attention with something that they kind of intuitively are, wow, a big number eight, isn't that pretty good size? Yeah. And that's like, I, then people want to know, how did it get there? And then we can, well, we work hard. We don't use welfare. We build strong families. We set up a lot of businesses. We have good, healthy behaviors, strong families, and we're very patriotic. In many battles for the American Revolution, uh, 200 years ago, in many of those battles, there were more soldiers that spoke Spanish than spoke English fighting for the independence of the United States. And that is not the narrative about us. We're always the criminals, the foreigners, the takers, the lazy. Well, this... Go figure. Well, this Latino GDP definitely helps bring that more real picture to life, in my opinion. Well, for sure, the the iron rule of GDP is that it needs to be growing. That if you have negative growth, that is a shrinking, that is horrible. If you remember 2008, and the question is, are we facing another depression, recession, whatever right now? Uh, if it's zero, if there's no growth, that's bad. If it's anemic, that's bad. And actually, the Latino uh, GDP is growing right at that magic Goldilocks, just right, not too hot, not too cold, right around 3% per year, which is where most economists say that's the ideal. Well, we've achieved that, and we're going to help bring the country up if this country will but invest in us. We're not asking for any handouts. We're not asking for anything special. Just invest to optimize. Now, that could take a lot of different forms. One form of investment, for example, is cost of higher education. I'm part of the baby boom. And my freshman year in 1963, when I wrote my checks to the regents, I paid $108 a year. Now, I was the only Latino in my class that was up at UC Davis. There were only two African-Americans, about a half a dozen Asians. So everybody else is non-Hispanic white. That baby boom generation got the best education publicly paid for, basically for free. Now, you get through the UC system, quite often you're saddled with anywhere from forty dollars to $100,000 in debt. Well, the baby boomers didn't have to pay that. So why does this generation have to pay it when the baby boomers didn't? And now they're complaining about these criminals, et cetera, coming in. When in fact, these young children graduating will pay for their Social Security and Medicare. So that's why we need to create a narrative based on data, based on 80 years of behavioral patterns that we see. So we, we, we've talked a lot about the significance of this Latino GDP both over time, over 80 years, and especially in, in the pandemic and post-pandemic world. So what, what, what are just some further implications that we could take from this report, Professor? 
Well, the um, first major implication is that of narrative, that I want people to understand the Latino GDP so that we can start to create our own narrative about ourselves in this country. Because that has always been created by somebody else about us, and it's usually not very positive. Uh, secondly, we need to be thinking of remaining engaged civically. The reason why I got out of I went through undergraduate and grad school in the UC system, paying $108 a year, the equivalent. Uh, I didn't have any debt. Uh, the reason why the current generation has debt is because of people going out to vote at various points, such as Proposition 13 back in 1987, such as Prop 187. The vote, even though now we've just finished an electoral period, there will be new uh, issues coming up. There's always voting at the state level, local level, district level, school district levels. We should be involved in all of those. There is no reason why young kids should have to graduate with $50,000 worth of jet debt just to get a BA when the baby boomers did not have to. There is no reason why so many people are without health care, particularly Latinos, when every other economy in the world, every other advanced economy in the world is able to offer universal access and they wind up spending a lot less money and their populations are much healthier. We can do these things. We have done some of them. There's no reason why we can't do them again or learn to do them if it's, for, for example, providing better access to care than we currently have. Uh, but if people just sit in the houses and don't go out on election day, don't, don't register, don't vote, then those who are opposed to doing taking these steps will still continue to carry the day. So every time you write a check to your whoever is holding your uh, student debt, stop and think, wow. If somebody had gone out and voted 40 years ago, I wouldn't have to do this. Well, these issues will come up again and again and again at the ballot box. Always be there. Make sure your voice is heard. Thank you so much, Professor. My pleasure. To quote the Latino GDP report, Latinos in the U.S. are a tremendous engine of economic growth, despite being only 18.3% of the population. It's signaled to be the drivers in future economic activity and recovery from the 2020 coronavirus recession. The Latino GDP is very much a story of hope, Latinos being the antidote to demographic challenge in the U.S. and America's true bright spots during trying times. That's all for this week. Thank you all for listening, and please remember to subscribe if you haven't done so already. The Latino GDP Report was written by Dr. Dan Hamilton, Dr. Matthew Finup, Dr. David Hayes-Bautista, and Dr. Paul Shu for the Latino Donor Collaborative. This podcast was written and produced by Brandy Lopez, Elias Rodriguez, and Giselle Hernandez. Our executive producers are Adriana Valdez and Seda Santiso Greenwood. Editing was provided by Elias Rodriguez. Music this week was by Mariachi de Uclatlan. Tune in for the next episode as we delve further into topics of Latino culture, gente, and health.